Amen. Our scripture for this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the marks of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the marks of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here in my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for the opportunity to share it this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the testimony of the disciples on this Easter day as they witness, Lord, your Son, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. We ask, O oh Lord, that you will speak to us through this word, that you will give me your thoughts to me my own. In Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So how do you identify people? Because it's not so easy when everybody's wearing a mask. <laughs> you remember what happened when everybody started wearing masks? We had to like squint and look a little closer because we weren't sure who that was. It was hard to be able to tell because normally when you're going to identify somebody, you look for traits or characteristics that distinguish them from others. And if all you can see is right there, it's, it's sometimes hard to be able to tell who they are. In forensic science, they say that you really need a minimum of three points to identify somebody, but preferably more. Why? Because several people can have similar characteristics. If I just go looking for three tall guys with glasses and a combed over hairdo, that's going to be a lot of people. So you need 
more reference points than that in order to be able to make what they call a positive ID. Now, there are exceptions to that rule. Can you imagine what they are? Unique identifiers. Teeth, fingerprints, birthmarks, DNA. They're all, they're, there are these very specific markers that are unique to each individual that identify them with, beyond the shadow of a doubt. No two people have the same fingerprints, right? That's why we use that to identify people. And so you need these identifying markers because two people can look the same. Two people can even act the same. They can even appear to be the same person. And so you need to be able to have these identifiers. It is not uncommon for adults to have tattoos or scars or things like that that show that they're them because nobody else has that. You know, nobody else has my finger mark. <laughs> they just don't. I have it. That's it. Now, somebody else might have a similar scar, but not in the exact same place, sex, exact same length, because of the same exact reason. The combination of identifying marks makes a case for a positive ID. In other words, when you have enough of these points, you can say, I am Positive that this person is who they say they are. I share this with you today because today's scripture is all about identifying Jesus. Let me remind you what's happened. This is Easter day. The women have gone to the tomb. They found it empty. Peter and John have run to the tomb to check it out, found it empty. The body is missing. There's some doubt about who believes what and what exactly is going on. The disciples aren't sure. The women aren't sure. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. And it is the evening of that same day. So we're still on Easter day for this scripture. It is the evening of that day of resurrection. The scripture tells us the disciples are closed in behind closed doors because of fear of the Jews. It's understandable, right? They just killed Jesus three days ago. If they killed Jesus three days ago, what will they do to us, his followers? You know, Jesus had a following. He at least had a crowd behind him. We're just the followers of the master. What will they do to us if they catch us? So there was real fear. They were afraid that if they did this to Jesus, we're next. So we're going to stay out of the public sight. Because we know that Peter tried to go out there and he was in the courtyard trying to check out what was going on in the proceedings before Jesus got killed. And what happened? Somebody identified him. Aren't you one of those disciples that follow Jesus? And remember what happened? He denied him three times. They didn't want to go through that. They didn't want to put themselves at that. So they were so afraid that they would not leave their home. Again, we thought we would never be able to relate to that. How many people were sequestered at home about two years ago for weeks and weeks and weeks? How many were afraid to get out because you could catch COVID and we didn't know what the result would be? How many were worried that they would die if they went out? I mean, it was a real fear. 
Can we relate to the disciples a little bit on this? They were afraid that if they walked out that door, they could be putting themselves in harm's way and they could be killed, arrested, tortured, who knows what. And they were so afraid that they would lock the doors and stay inside. And it is at that moment, that evening of Easter, that Jesus appears before them with the words, peace be with you. Clearly, peace was not one of the things they had. (laughs) They didn't have that. They had anxiety. They had fear. They had sorrow. They had grief. They had uncertainty. They had a number of things. Peace was not one of the things that they had. Jesus tells them, peace be with you. Because he knew that is what they needed. He knew that in the middle of their concern and anxiety over what was going on in their fear, they needed to know that they could have peace because he was with them. You remember how you felt when we first weren't able to get out? It was, it was a, a different feeling, wasn't it? Because you didn't have the, you felt like you didn't have the freedom to do as you wanted. And I'm sure that the disciples on this day had felt that way. When Jesus tells them, peace be with you, they would have, I'm sure they must have thought to themselves, what peace? We can't have peace. You were just killed three days ago. They'll come after us next. What peace? And Jesus has to repeat it again. Peace be with you. He had to tell them twice because the first time they clearly didn't get it. He had to repeat it. Jesus was wishing them something that they didn't have, which tells me something about Jesus. He always knows what we need before we need it. He always knows what it is that we are in need of, and he offers that in grace to us as a gift. Peace be with you. Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understandings will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is the kind of peace that Jesus was wishing them, the kind of peace that did not depend on their circumstances. The kind of peace that did not depend on what was going on in the city of Jerusalem as everybody was still up in arms about what had happened. A peace that passes understanding because in our logical minds, it makes perfect sense for them to be afraid. That's the kind of peace that Jesus offers his disciples. Peace that I want transcends all understanding and goes beyond my comprehension. But Jesus has just appeared before them after his death, and so immediately, what does he do? He shows them his hands. He shows them his side. What is he doing? He's showing them the identifying marks that let them know that the one standing before them is actually him. He's helping them make a positive ID. You have to understand that some of them probably thought he was a ghost. Some of them probably thought maybe this is an angel or a messenger from God. 
Some of them might have thought the opposite. Maybe this is a demon or something. They had all kinds of questions. And so Jesus had to show them that it was really him. Here are the identifying marks. How many people do you know walking around with nail marks? How many people do you know that are going to have this piercing on the side? Know that it's me. Peace be with you. I want to tell you that peace comes when Jesus is with you. Because he is the peace of God that passes all understanding. Did you know that in the Christian tradition, the phrase peace be with you has been shared over and over again, not just as an affirmation, but also as a response. Peace be with you. Oh, come on, you know this. And also with you. If, if you were Presbyterian, you'd be shouting that because they, they they're on automatic. It's funny, when we have meetings and there's a lot of Presbyterians and they want to get everybody to be quiet, they go, peace be with you, and they all go, and also with you, and everybody's quiet. It's an affirmation. An affirmation of what? Of the peace of Christ that is with me, but also with you. The peace that we both need and we both share and we both declare on each other. That is what Jesus was bringing. After 2,000 years in Christianity, we are still affirming that we need the peace of Jesus that passes all understanding and that only Jesus can give it and that we all need it right now. Well, in a world that is torn apart by war and rumors of war, does anybody not want peace? We want peace, but the peace that is not just a, a ceasing of strife, but a peace that passes all understanding. After saying this, Jesus showed them the hands, the side, and he, he let them identify him. He let them come to the conclusion that it was really him. And it's interesting, the scripture says that it wasn't until Jesus showed them the marks and was fully identified as Jesus, that they rejoiced. Before that, they were just like, uh, we don't know about this. But once they were able to identify him, the joy of knowing that that was Jesus back from the dead took over. You heard the story of Molly and how she had an identifying mark. I got to tell you, when I turned that dog over and I went down her belly and I found that little blue line that they had drawn where the surgery was, I didn't care how dirty my car was. I didn't care how much she stunk. I didn't care that she was all over the place running back and forth in all the seats of the car, making sure the stink got everywhere. I only cared about one thing the joy of having her back. And I am sure that when the disciples made that positive idea of Jesus, when they realized this really is our master, our Lord, our Savior, their joy overcame their sadness. They became joyous because they knew that the Lord was back and this changed everything. They became so overjoyed, they probably couldn't contain their excitement. And knowing that Jesus was back from the dead. This changed everything because 
Let's face it, death, death is our biggest enemy. Being dead, being absent is our biggest enemy. And Jesus, in appearing before them, had just shown them that he had defeated death. And that because he lived, now you and I could live our lives in victory, knowing that death could never take us permanently. Because Jesus had promised us eternal life. This is when I remember Paul's writing, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Jesus took the sting out of death. Because as Christians, we know that if we die in Christ, we will be raised with him, and therefore we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear when it comes to passing from this life to the next. And that is the affirmation that, that came to the disciples when they saw Jesus. He defeated death. This changes everything. Jesus was basically telling them, you don't need to be afraid anymore. You can go out. You don't need to be scared anymore. Because the worst they can do is what? Kill you? They kill you, you're going to be with me. The worst they can do to you is take your life. You'll just be with me. There's nothing to be afraid of. Jesus then told them, I'm going to breathe on you the Holy Spirit so that you have the power to forgive sins and retain sins, so that you have the power from God and the authority from God to continue the work that I have started. You see, he was letting them know that it wasn't time to pack up and go to heaven. It was time to get busy getting more people to know about him so that the kingdom of God could continue to grow and so that the gospel could reach every corner of the world. I don't know how many of you know, but most of the disciples were martyred. Most of them were killed in brutal and terrible ways. But every one of them went somewhere and told people about Jesus. Every one of them went to where they felt led by God in order to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and made their life count for the kingdom of God. Every one of them understood that they had been called by God to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to care for the sick, to free the captives, to do the work of the kingdom of God. And with these words, Jesus was giving them not just power, but authority to go and do that. Do you realize that that same power and that same authority is ours today? That Jesus has given us, as his followers, the authority to go and offer grace and forgiveness to others. That God has given us the power to do greater things than he did himself. And he did some really incredible things. But so often, we limit the power of God because we don't take the authority given to us. 
when we are ordained into ministry, one of the things that is said to us as we are kneeling before the bishop is, take thou authority to preach the word of God. And then a lot of other stuff. But take thou authority. We have the authority, but we have to take it. Jesus offered it, said, you need to take it, you need to receive it, you need to use it, you need to go about the kingdom's work. And I'm giving it to you. I'm passing the baton. You are going to take it the next length of the journey. Well, if you've read the scripture before, you know everybody wasn't there. Thomas was out. And I've always said he was the he was the one that drew the short stick and had to go get supplies for everybody else. You know, that he, he must have been sent to market or maybe he just got claustrophobic and needed some fresh air. None of us experienced that during COVID when we were locked up, right? But, you know, you know during COVID, it was like, do you want to go get food? No, you go get food. I'm not going out there. That must have been Thomas. He was the one that got sent out. He probably had to go to the market and get some food. And he comes back and they tell him, we have seen the Lord. And the implication was he's alive. He's alive. We saw him. He was standing right there where you are. What did Thomas say? <laughs> when I see the identifying marks that I know are of Jesus, you know, the nail marks, the piercing on the side, so I know it's really him, then, and only then, will I believe. And Thomas, of course, gets a bad rap here because he, we call him Doubting Thomas because of this. But how many of us wouldn't have asked for proof? You know, when that dog jumped in my car and peed everywhere, I was going to turn her over because she better be my dog. I mean, I was going to make sure. Thomas wanted to make sure that it really was Jesus, that it was really him. He wanted to, to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And he says, until I see it, until I stick my finger in the hole, until I stick my hand on the side, I will not believe. And the scripture says a week later, Jesus appeared before them and apparently they hadn't learned anything from the prior week because they were still behind locked doors. They were still afraid. They were still concerned. They were still unsure. But this time, Thomas was there and Jesus greets them with the same words. Peace be with you. Why did he greet them with the same words? Because they still didn't have peace. I feel like Jesus can greet us like that every morning. Peace be with you because... Every day we need peace. Peace be with you. And then he literally turns to Thomas and goes, okay, come on, identify me, check it out. Put your finger in. Stick your hand on my side. Get it over with. It's really me. And what did Thomas do? He didn't have to do that. He'd seen enough, right? He didn't have to stick his finger in the hole. I mean, that was pretty bold to say you have to, I, I got to stick my finger in that hole. I mean, that's like, whoa, that's next level. <sighs> he 
said, my God and my Lord. And Jesus said, did you just believe because you just saw me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. You know, Thomas didn't didn't do what he said he was going to do in order to believe. He believed when he saw Jesus. And I said that he gets a bad rap as doubting Thomas. Do you realize that he is the only one of all the disciples that when they see Jesus affirms that he is his God and his Lord? None of the other ones said that. My God and my Lord. In that affirmation right there, to me, Thomas became believing Thomas. He became affirming Thomas. He became a Thomas that was convinced that this was indeed his Savior and his Lord. And he committed himself at that very moment to help others know that truth. You know, we put posters everywhere when Molly went missing. And when she was found... I took tons of pictures sending them to people. We found her and celebrating. And every time that we could, we'd show Molly off to the total strangers that had received her poster because it was a joyous thing. And I can imagine that the disciples felt the same way. Jesus is alive, and now they just needed the boldness and the affirmation to go out and tell others about this great news that Jesus was indeed alive. But they were still afraid. They were still scared. They were still concerned. In fact, we know that it's not until Pentecost comes and the Holy Spirit falls on them that they get their boldness on. Before then, lock the doors, close the windows, because we were still afraid. Scripture tells us that many other signs and wonders were done in the presence of the disciples which are not written in the book of John, but that these are written so that we may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, And that through believing, we may have life in his name. Now, there's a lot of people out there that are like Thomas in the sense that they want to see in order to believe. They have a very hard time with faith. You know, believing in that which you have not received, which you have not yet seen. And we know that, right? Because we know some folks like that. We know people that have that struggle with making that faith jump to believing in Jesus. And we can't invite them to put their hands in the side or in the holes of the nails of Jesus. But I do believe we have an opportunity to show them Jesus in us. For you see, when you are a Christian and you're following Jesus, you will have scars. You will have trying times in which God has had to lift you up. You will have times in which you have experienced trials and temptations and tribulations. And in those times, God has shown up and done things in your life. And those experiences have changed who you are today. 
And I believe that Jesus was calling his disciples and us to let him shine through us to others so that they could see those experiences and come to believe that Jesus Christ really is our Lord and our Savior. We might not be able to show them the nail marks of Jesus, but we can surely tell them about our own hurts and pains and sorrows and struggles. And we can tell them how God has been with us in those things. And let that testimony bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. I hope we will take the authority that has been given to us by Jesus to do this great work. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for showing yourself to the disciples with convincing proof that it was really you. I thank you, Lord, that we can believe in a real bodily resurrection, that we can believe that you were truly raised from the dead and appeared to your disciples on that Easter day. And that, oh Lord, because we believe that, we have hope of being resurrected with you. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to tell others about the good news that you have been raised from the dead, that we will let them see our scars and our burdens and our cares and our struggles and let them see, O oh Lord, how much you have meant in our lives and what difference you have made. Lord, help our testimony be proof that you are indeed the Lord and Savior of our lives. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The altar is always open if you'd like to come up for prayer. I want to remind you that between the greens, you can pray by yourself. And if you come anywhere else, somebody from the altar team will be glad to pray with you.